Hello and welcome to DFS Coach Talk. It is Thursday, May 7th, 2020. I am Andrew Hansen, and I'm psyched to be joined again by Shane Caldwell. Shane, it feels like it's been quite a long time. How are you today? Yeah, it's been, been a few days and I'm doing great. Uh, excited for the Saints preview today uh, as we continue our DFS uh, team previews uh, down in uh, the bayou there, Houdat Nation. Uh, <laughs> so it's an it's an exciting team. And man, this is another uh, this is a team that's uh, coming in as a Super Bowl contender again, as they have the last few years. And uh, excited to see if they can get over the hump and excited to see uh, how the team's going to look for uh, fantasy because they are a great fantasy team, too. Yeah, they really are. They've had two rough finishes in the postseason, though, the last two years, and we may need to stick. We, we may need to begin today's show with a little bit of controversy. I yeah. think we have opposing views on how things finished up last year when Kyle Rudolph caught that touchdown in the back of the end zone to send the Vikings onward. And the Saints, after 13 and three season, once again, left shaking their hands, looking for a flag. Yeah, well, you know, I'm going to say this, the Saints need to. Uh you know, just win in other ways because you can point out to one play, but guess what? They had other opportunities to win that game. But yeah, that was that controversial game. Obviously in what, 2018, you got them, uh, that was the game against the Rams, the controversial play. And then, you know, he takes out the, you know, takes out the receiver, doesn't call pass interference. And that was, that one was really blatantly obvious. Um, and then, uh, you know, you had the Minnesota miracle, with uh, Stefan Diggs, that wasn't a penalty. That was just a crazy fluke play. That was that was awesome if you're a Vikings fan. Uh, and then last year, they're they're facing uh, the Vikings at home, obviously favored at home in the wild card round. And yeah, it goes to overtime. Vikings get the ball go down, and uh, they get Kyle Rudolph out there on the left side against uh, Williams, uh, who's not a great corner. And uh, they're they're kind of hand fighting physical back and forth. And Rudolph catches the touchdown in the end zone uh, in the corner of the end zone uh, for the for the win. Uh, my opinion was I watched that live. We rewatched it is that they were hand fighting back and forth. And that's kind of the physical nature of trying to trying to create separation. And, yeah, Rudolph did extend his his arm into the chest. But I feel like Williams was also grabbing his hand and being physical with him. And they were fighting the whole way. So I feel like Rudolph just out you know, out physical them and, and is a bigger guy. So he went up to get the, get the pass. So I'm okay with it, with the refs letting it go. But I think that you have a different opinion there. <laughs> I <laughs> do. Of, you know, I understand <laughs> in, in regular speed, you know, it doesn't look too flagrant. I'll give you that. But if in the slow motion, you know, if you, if, if you look at one of the angles to me, he just times it perfectly shoves him in the middle of the chest and gets that few inches that he needed to then have separation, make the catch. I mean, at a minimum, it was a brilliant play by a veteran doing yeah. just enough within the rules to get the edge that he needed. But I think it was worthy of a flag. I think he gained an advantage from the push. And, you know, the other thing that comes up with this, of course, is the overtime rules. And I think they need to be changed, at least in the playoffs. You can't let, you know, a Super Bowl uh, hinge on the flip of a coin. You know, and you can say all day long, well, you should have done more in regulation. I, I get that. But, I mean, this is just, you yeah, know. That, was, uh, that came up for the 2018 Patriots uh, AFC exactly. game. Everyone wanted, hey, let's give Mahomes a chance in the overtime. And Brady takes him down and scores and wins. And Mahomes doesn't even get the ball in overtime. So, yeah, that definitely, I, I understand that point. I agree with you there. I just think that in the NFL, you're going to get a lot of hand fighting and a lot of pushing that's not called. And if both both guys are battling, it just kind of tr kind of cancels each other out, which I feel like Williams was on him enough where they were both battling. And I just feel like he lost the battle. Um, so if it's just one sided where the other corner, you know, is ha has a little separation, the other guy just completely extends his arm and clears him out. Then that's a blatantly obvious pass interference on offense. But I, I feel like it's got to be super blatantly obvious. And uh, when you have contact back and forth, it kind of cancels it out. It's kind of like basketball where you say they're they're letting them play a little bit more physical. They're letting a little they're allowing a little bit more hand checks and a little more physical play in there. Um, and it, where some refs are calling the ticky tack everything. So depending on the referee, I think the referees were letting some of those calls go. And that's how they were playing. They, that's how they were calling it. So that's why I was OK with it. 
Bottom line, it was just a rough, rough finish for the Saints. So they've got to be thrilled about a clean slate here, getting after it in 2020. So we'll begin yep. the breakdown in a second. But for those of you who are new to the program, thank you for tuning in here to DFS Coach Talk. You can check out our website, dfscoachtalk.com. That's pretty easy, right, Shane? And yeah, you can pick up a weekly, monthly, or annual membership, and those will be frozen until a U.S. professional sport resumes. And we've been busy here, even though we've, we're still in the downtime. We've been, we're off to a terrific start with the Korea Baseball Organization, the KBO. And if yeah. you join as a member right now, you'll get access to our free lineups every night on DraftKings and FanDuel. And, you know, it's a real opportunity to build the bankroll while we wait for these sports to come back. Are you saying that these are real baseball players, that they're not like, you know, computer generated <laughs> players? And we I've actually, seen it with my own eyes. <laughs> that, that's awesome, man. Yeah, it's, we're excited. We're excited about that. We've had great success right out the gate. And uh, our, our sleeping schedule might be a little bit off. You know, I think we might be on more Korean time than uh, Eastern Standard U.S. time. No doubt. Uh, but anything, that's what it takes. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll dive into those things. So, yeah, that's been exciting to have real baseball back. And I think that brings more hope for all the other major sports over here to get going as they see a good example of a league that's operating efficiently and drawing, you know, drawing good viewer. I'm assuming really good view, uh, ratings and view, viewership, you know. Yeah, you got to figure worldwide their numbers have to be at an all-time high. It's all we have to watch. And, yeah. you know, they're certainly concerned with the ratings. They have cheerleaders there. At the games, no fans, but they've got players and cheerleaders. And yeah, fingers crossed that they can keep keep going smoothly, keep the league going, no more controversies, and that'll set an example for the U.S. sports. Who, by the way, NFL sent the memo out today. Uh, Roger Goodell starting to communicate with teams about opening the facilities. Stage one will be for team employees and players who are recovering from injury, and then they'll have to work towards stage two to get players actually back in the facilities and practicing but uh you know we're starting to get on the right track so let's jump into the saints breakdown here because we're finishing up the nfc south today we're in the middle of our 32 day virtual tour of the nfl one team per day we're breaking them down from a dfs perspective and we're going to start with these uh new orleans saints today 13 and 3 we, we talked about how the season ended um, but unlike some of the other teams we've been talking about, a lot of stability for this crew. I, I think that's one of the, you know, the words of the day is stability and consistency. And I just want to break down this coaching staff a little bit because I hadn't even realized how long offensive coordinator Pete Carmichael had been in town. He's been with the Saints since 09. And yeah. man, have they been consistent. Ten straight years where they're top 10 in yardage in the NFL. Uh same thing for uh, points, top 11 in points every single year he's been there. And in fact, they've had four straight years where they're top four in scoring in the NFL. And last year was no different. They were third in points with 458. And then on the defensive side, Dennis Allen, uh, former head coach of the Raiders. And this is his, he's been there for five years now as defensive coordinator. And after he got his feet wet that first year, they've had Four straight years where they've gotten a higher ranking in terms of yards allowed overall. So uh, just consistency across the board. And that's got to feel good for the Saints fans as we get ready for this 2020 season. Yeah, they didn't they didn't have to make a lot of offseason moves because they are really a model of consistency. The way Sean Payton and his staff does. Um, you know, Joe Lombardi's been there for a long time with Drew Brees, the quarterback coach and the offensive defensive coordinator. Uh, they do a great job and uh, definitely getting the most out of their players. And this team had 11 pro bowlers in 2019. So, I mean, that's got to be like a record. I mean, they're just looking at not just on offense all, all around. So having 11 pro bowlers, the ninth ranked team on offense and, uh, you know, the defense is pretty solid as well. Uh, you know, it's definitely a great team, and uh, there's there's a lot of good a uh, lot of good fantasy production out of this offense, and uh, and it's fairly predictable as well, which is good in the world. So you can try to identify when when are they going to have when they're going to have blow up games. So. Yeah, the you know Drew Brees certainly has been at the center of that consistency, and they were seventh in passing yardage last year, 
second in touchdowns with 36. Uh, Breeze missed five games, but Teddy Bridgewater did an admirable job filling in. And then they were middle of the pack in terms of rushing yardage, certainly didn't need to rely on the rushing game quite as much because of that excellent passing game. On the defensive side of the ball, um, the passing yardage is where they are still a little bit below average. They're 20th last year in that department. But they were, again, fourth against the run in terms of overall yardage. And that's two straight years that they've been top four in rushing defense in terms of yards allowed. Uh, So just uh, real strong on both sides of the ball. Uh, Arrow pointing up for the Saints. And, you know, Drew Brees is back in town. There was a little bit of an uncertainty. Would he retire? Would he go to the broadcast booth? But he is back under center for the Saints. And, you know, I wanted to mention uh, uh, some of the similarities that I actually have with Drew Brees. You know, they're pretty substantial, Shane. We're born in the same year, same height, same weight. But then that's when we start to differ. Okay, he's right-handed. I'm left-handed. I know you are as well. And he happens to have he happens to have the most passing yards in the history of the NFL, most touchdown passes in the history of the NFL. I've got some goose eggs in those categories. Um, but, yeah. man, what an incredible guy. Uh, and he's back for another year. Yeah, I mean, this guy is one of the greatest athletes of all time, obviously at one of the most important positions, quarterback. But if you combine that with all the records he has, his consistency, his leadership, and his off-the-field stuff, I mean, I know that he just donated, his foundation donated $5 million for the COVID-19 relief, uh, especially in the Louisiana area. His his charity has donated over $35 million, you know, since he uh, came up with his charity with him and his wife, and his wife does a lot of that stuff as well. So in terms of his contribution as a person in the community and a leader, and then the fact that he's broke, he's going to break almost every passing yard, every passing record in the NFL history, almost every single one. This guy's got to go down as one of the greatest athletes of all time. And he's just a great guy. You think about 2018 when he passed Peyton Manning for the passing uh, yards leader in the career. And you remember when his kids were on the field, you know, he had like a really long touchdown to Traquan Smith. His kids were on the field and they stopped the game for him to celebrate. And you just remember that was just an amazing moment. Uh, do, you, do you remember that? That was that was pretty phenomenal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I still remember watching with my wife and she was uh, just noticing how big his family was, all the all the cute kids. So, yeah, that one's yeah. that one's in the memory bank for sure. Yeah, that's just pretty amazing. So Drew Brees, in terms of fantasy production, he obviously got hurt. I believe it was a, a, a thumb. Was it a fractured thumb, if I remember right? Yep. Uh, he, he only played in 11 games, really only about 10 games because he got hurt uh, in one of those games there. He still put up almost 3,000 yards, and he continued his elite efficiency at 74.3% completion, by far the number one uh completion uh, percentage uh, quarterback, most efficient. And I, when I was looking up that stat, I knew he was number one. But would you guess who was number two? Let's, I'm going to quiz you now because this one I would have never guessed in a million years. Oh, I don't, gosh. I don't know, unless you're looking at the stats, no one would guess this. I'm just going to throw it out there because I thought it was crazy. Somebody like Garoppolo? <laughs> it was Derek Carr from the Oakland Raiders. Oh, was wow. second for – Completion percentage at like 70%. I, I just thought that was interesting. No one would have guessed that unless you happen to be a Raiders fan or something like that. Uh, so anyways, that was an interesting stat. Uh, number one in that stat, uh, 27 touchdowns and only four interceptions. So you talk about, uh, you know, efficiency, a model of efficiency, and only 11 games to produce like that. This guy is awesome. Top DraftKings games, he had 43-point uh, DraftKings games. Uh, which would have equated to 40 points on FanDuel. And then he had, you know, uh, quite a few other games around 30, you know, 31, 29, 26. So he had he had some pretty good uh, fantasy games, even though he only played 11, 11 games overall. Um, you know, but yeah, pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, and here's one of the things I want to look at for DFS. One of the things I identified with Drew Brees is, most people know that he's way better at home. So his home road splits are really good. So you want to, you want to go play Drew Brees at home. But I also noticed that his top three games in fantasy were up against 
at home up against non-divisional opponents. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind. You can target non-divisional opponents because we talked about the consistency of the offense. The division knows the offense really well uh, when they're playing them on defense because they've had the same system. So sometimes they don't do as well against even the Atlanta Falcons. They had a game where they didn't do well and they lost to them, even though the Falcons weren't a great defense. Right. For example. So there was that huge game uh, against the 49ers in the dome in, in New Orleans where it was a crazy shootout game that came out of nowhere. And that was Drew Brees' biggest game at like 43 fantasy points. He had 349 yards, five touchdowns passing, and one rushing touchdown from like the one-yard line. So that was a game where you might have faded it, but if you played that, you were going to cash big. Because if you were afraid of the 49ers, but the 49ers were a team that could had a powerful offense, so you can create a shootout, which is a great environment for fantasy and he was at home against a non-divisional opponent. So that's one thing that I think that we can look at with Drew Brees this year. Yeah, I love that breakdown. Uh, I still remember that like it was yesterday. I was in uh, Las Vegas for a 40th birthday party and watching it on the big screen. And he just wouldn't stop collecting touchdowns. It was it was incredible. What a fun game to watch. But you're right. He's so much more effective at home. And I, I do like that plan to target him against non-divisional opponents at home. You mentioned that loss against the Falcons, which is one of the most surprising games of the season last year. Saints were coming off a bye. Falcons came in there with a terrible record and just got all those sacks. And, uh, you know, maybe the Saints just took them lightly, but that certainly woke them up uh, because then the next three weeks, they beat everybody in the division. Uh, They sort of swept the the division after that. Finished 5-1 against the division. So great record. But, yeah, you got to look elsewhere for, for these monster games. Um, and I, I, I want to make one more point about his fantasy production, which is just the incredible floor that he has and the consistency. In those 10 games where he actually played a full game, other than the one against the Rams where he got hit early, uh, his hand hit the helmet on a pass, and, and out he went. Uh, eight of those 10 games, he had at least two touchdown passes. You know, and, and a bunch with three, four, or, or six, six total touchdowns late in that game against the 49ers that you mentioned. So just incredibly consistent. And, oh, by the way, the cheapest price he had all year was 5.9K on DraftKings, and it was against the it was against the 49ers. So if we ever get any sort of a dip in price in one of these home games, I, I think he's a really important target uh, to play. Now – as for the rest of the quarterback group, you know, this is this is an interesting dynamic because Teddy Bridgewater, their backup, signed with Carolina. And we, we talked about him a couple days ago. And in his stead, they have signed Jameis Winston to a one year deal for one point one million. So I'm going to ask you, Shane, what do you think about this little trade, so to speak, of losing Bridgewater and adding Winston? Do you think that's an upgrade? For fantasy, it is. <laughs> I don't know about real life, but I don't really care about real life. We're looking for DFS fantasy production here, and that's where that's what you get for Jameis Winston. Yeah, you you could lose some lose a few points if you throw an interception, but I'm not concerned about that because this guy would rack up if he gets to play. He's going to rack up a ton of yards and a ton of touchdowns in this offense. Teddy Bridgewater it was was good. He held down the ship. Being that this was a, a stacked, loaded roster, he was able to be a game manager and be efficient. You know, he threw nine touchdowns and two interceptions. He had about 68% completion percentage. So he was okay. It, um, when the backup quarterback was in there, his snap share was only uh, – uh, snap share was like 66%. So they were running like Taysom Hill in there and doing the Wildcat and doing all kinds of things. Alvin Kamara on the Wildcat. So he wasn't even necessarily a full-time quarterback, but he was a game manager. They He did the job. Now, Jamin, uh, obviously, number one last year in uh, – let's talk about the good stuff with Jameis Winston. Right? Okay. Right. <laughs> number one in passing yards at fifty over 5,100 yards. Number one in deep ball passes. Number one in air yards. Okay? Uh, you know, what do you have? Uh, 30 touchdowns – 33 touchdowns. Okay? Now, we don't need to talk about the interceptions or the completion percentage. Uh, let's let's – we don't need to talk about that. But uh, we can talk about how he actually finally had LASIK vision surgery. Uh, he was not wearing contacts or glasses, obviously. And he's talking about in the offseason how he can see 
better. First time he's been able to drive around and see street signs. You got a NFL quarterback who's been playing without being able to see coverage and read it correctly because he can't see that well. So that could have played into it. But if you combine this offense and the weapons they have and the coaching he's going to get from Sean Payton and from Joe Lombardi and from their offensive coordinator, this is a great place for Jameis Winston to be and develop. And I feel like if Drew Brees goes down, we're talking about a cheap price and elite level production for fantasy here. Yeah, you know, you make a good point there on focusing on the good. Uh, that is really what we need to do. We need to focus on the numbers and the fact that an interception, you only lose one point. But yeah. it's a real challenge for me because just I'm, I'm morally opposed to a quarterback who, you know, doesn't value the ball. And he is the complete opposite of Drew Brees in that sense. 30 interceptions last year. Drew Brees had four. And... How about this little comparison? The last three years before that, uh, eight, five, and four for Breeze. So he's not even close. He won't even sniff going yeah. 10 interceptions or higher recently. Winston's career low is 11, and that was in 13 games. So yeah. just not even anywhere in the same realm of discussion in terms of taking care of the ball. And then we, we talked on the uh, earlier podcast about Winston's sacks, 48 sacks, I think it was. Meanwhile, Breeze only took 12 sacks, 3.1% of the plays, which was best in the NFL. So maybe this is why Winston's referring to his um, place on the Saints roster as a Harvard education, because it is a real opportunity to see how it's done and learn. Because, yeah, I, you know, with, uh, with, with that history of interceptions and sacks, mistakes, uh, I do have to give him credit that I really think it is a great decision for his career to go there, sacrifice the money, sacrifice a starting role, and um, you know try to add that part to his game and and go to the next level. So yeah, he, he's actually uh, a very intelligent guy. Winston is, and he's going to learn so much from Drew Brees. As, as I mentioned, Drew Brees, Drew Brees, one of the best leaders. And that's really one of the best coaching staffs and uh, smartest coaching staffs out there. So with the coaching staff and Drew Brees, uh, you know, being able to take him take him under their wing, uh, he's only going to get better. Um, and he still has that high upside and that arm talent. Um, so really smart quarterback, great arm talent. And I, I'm very high on him if anything were to happen to Drew Brees. I don't care about that other suits fantasy. Um, and they're going to make him more efficient, but still allow him to take his Probably one of the best quarterbacks for throwing deep balls, where Drew Brees doesn't sell at deep balls. So you're going to be able to open up more big playability in this offense if, if James Winston goes in. Yeah, I think we both agree that if Brees goes down, Winston will get the opportunity to be that every-down quarterback. But Taysom Hill isn't going anywhere. Uh, they re-signed him. So the Is question. He quarterback? <laughs> well. <laughs> Sometimes he is. He yeah, threw yeah. he threw six passes last year. Um, he, <laughs> he he did have much more of an impact running the ball and catching the ball. So how much of a vulture do you think he's going to be this year to those other skill position players for the Saints? Yeah, it, it's worrisome. I mean, he even takes red zone snaps from Drew Brees, who's like you know Hall of Fame quarterback, and yeah, he's taking some of those passes from. Uh, uh, Michael Thomas in, in the red zone because Michael Thomas, you know, didn't wasn't actually a touchdown leader. Right? He was pretty solid. You know, it really hurt uh, Alvin Kamara's production because Taysom Hill excels with those quick short routes and just his quickness and speed and physicality in the red zone and in, in his hands. He really took vultured those directly from Alvin Kamara, who was supposed to be one of the top running backs. So yeah, this guy is. Uh, Taysom Hill is one of the most versatile players that you'll ever see, um, but you just never know when he's going to be in there. There is very, very package specific, very play calling specific, and they're just going to throw him in there for uh, uh, specific plays, and he's not going to get that many snaps, but enough just to take away from these other fantasy stars. So, yeah, so he's always lurking as the as the vulture there, uh, the kind of jack of all trades vulture there. So, so yeah, he really is. And just impressive that he was able to end up with those six touchdown receptions. 
Um, but I've got two sort of differing viewpoints to share on his production in terms of DFS value. So in the six games where he caught a touchdown pass, his DraftKings point totals were 8, 9, 11, 12, 15, and 18. And he was priced in that 4 to 4.5K range. So really, it was only a couple of those, of those games where he gave you that 3x return or higher. So that's my concern for him is even when he's getting in the end zone, he's just not getting enough touches to really give you a, a tournament uh, GPP style return on investment that you want. Now, on yeah, the flip side, the yeah, that's the problem. Now, on the flip side, look at his numbers in that playoff game against the Vikings. Four carries for 50 yards, two catches for 25 and a touchdown. So he got 17 and a half DraftKings points there, and he was about four and a half K. So we're looking at about a four X return. So, you know, if if the end of the season is any indication of how much they value him and how much they want to incorporate him in the offense, you know, we could see him get more and more touches this year. Yeah, Sean Payton's certainly in love with him. So, and he's called the shots. So, right. <laughs> yeah, he can incorporate that. I know you start w- wondering, hey, is uh, is Alvin Kamara injured or what? Is there a secret injury they're not telling us about? Because, uh, you know, Sean Payton's love for him, he would just throw him in there in obvious situations where it used to be Kamara. Uh, so, yeah, it is concerning. He, he will get in there, but I think as long as Drew Brees is healthy and running the offense, it's still going to be a very minimal snap share and target share. Um, but yeah, he's always that's always something you have to factor in if you're taking a tiebreaker between a few players. You're factoring in the Saints, and you know that Taysom Hill could take away a touchdown that you desperately need a DFS. You know. It's funny that you mentioned Kamara next because who would have thunk at the who would have thunk it at the beginning of the season that Taysom Hill would end up with seven touchdowns rushing and receiving, and Kamara only had six. Wow, that hurts. So. Uh, Talk to me about Kamara down from a fantasy perspective last year in terms of overall production. What do you think is going to happen this year? Yeah, Kamara was the classic case regression to the mean 2017 lights the world on fire as a rookie 2018, 18, 18 touchdowns. So every time it seemed like every time he touched the ball, he's touchdown. Absolute fantasy star. And then all of a sudden, Mark Ingram leaves and free agency goes to Baltimore. So we're like, hey, let's fire up Alvin Kamara. This guy's going to be unstoppable. He's coming off a Pro Bowl year, 18 touchdowns. And the touchdown vulture and the solid running back, Mark Ingram, is no longer there. Yeah, they have Latavius Murray. So Alvin Kamara coming into the year, a lot of people would have rated him above Christian McCaffrey. Some people would have rated him as the number one running back going into the year. And he was priced accordingly. He was pretty expensive. So he became a fantasy trap because you kept waiting for him to produce. He was okay. He was decent, which does not produce when in the DFS world here. So you're talking about 14 games. He was injured, only 797 rushing yards, uh, five touchdowns, 69% snap share. It's okay, but not what we expected. Now, interestingly, he had 81 receptions all of the last three seasons. Great. So you, you would tell me he's getting 81 receptions in 19. I said, let's fire him up. Let's go. However, he his average went way down to only 6.6 yards per, per reception, only 533 receiving yards and only one touchdown. So huge regression there in terms of actually actual production. Uh, he wasn't involved in the offense as much. A lot of those little two to three yard passes, you know, he catches the ball, runs out of bounds. It just wasn't producing the type of upside you need at that price. So I would expect him to have a better season in 2020 and that he's going to he had the regression. Now he's going to have the, you know, come up or the, pro, the progression now. So he's going to he is going to get, I think, more involved and have a little bit more explosive plays and hopefully get more rushing yards as well. They have a great offensive line. Great system for him. So they need to get him involved again, and I think they will. But if his if he's priced as high as he was last year, I'm not going to be on him as much. So it remains to be seen. Uh, what what do you think about Kamara? Yeah, I'm a I'm a little bit cautious because I was predicting him to do better last year, uh, as you mentioned with Ingram gone. I didn't think Murray would be quite as involved, but 
it really turned into more of a committee than most expected. Uh, the numbers I have are that Kamara had 59% of the snaps and, and Murray had 41%, which is pretty much the definition of a, of a committee. And, you know, Murray, let's see, Murray ended up with six touchdowns as well. Five rushing, one receiving, just like Kamara. And he was almost as productive on a per carry basis, 4.4. Slightly more efficient with his catches, 6.9. And uh, that just, it made it impossible for Kamara to hit value in that 8K range on DraftKings. And I realized looking at these two guys that their committee together really gave you about the production of Christian McCaffrey. And McCaffrey did it with one guy. And so check out this step. The Saints ran 1,011 plays on offense last year. Okay, 1,011. Christian McCaffrey was on the field for 1,039 snaps himself. Now, he was just out there every down. He would not yeah. go to the bench. He was a rare workhorse, a true workhorse running back. Just incredible uh, consistency and output, you know, they kept feeding him the rock and somehow he made it through the season. Um, but look at this, look at it this way. Uh, Kamara had three games over 20 fantasy points all season. Christian McCaffrey had two games under 20. So he had almost all of his games over 20 and Kamara only had three. And, there wasn't that much of a price difference. I mean, certainly McCaffrey was very expensive at 10K, but he was worth it almost every single week. He was worth the additional investment compared to Kamara. And and like like you said at the outset, that was just not what everybody was predicting heading into the season. Yeah, Kamara last year in DFS, it was like, this is the week. He's going to go off. This guy's got such high upside, and I'll get him at really low ownership, right? That was the week. And then you just get burned bad if you played him. You know, he didn't have that many big games. And I feel like we're going to be saying that same thing in the early uh, early, early on of the 2020 season is, you know, maybe Kamara can get back to his old self and have a huge game. And he's the type of guy that now all of a sudden you can get him at like 4 to 5% ownership, where before he would be chalky, you know? So – I think we're going to be saying the same thing, and I'm going to keep a close eye on the re- training camp reports of how Elvin Kamara is looking like and what they expect from him to be able to bounce back because he is in a bounce back spot, and he is a guy that we could target at low ownership early in the year, and he could have some of those ceiling games that he used to have. So uh, maybe Taysom Hill gets injured and we'll be okay. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> yeah, Taysom really. Hill's a quarterback. What? <laughs> yeah, very confused exactly. Now, right? <laughs> yeah, in terms of the, the Camaras perspective, it's like all these guys are taking away from him. Uh, we, yep. We've hit on Hill. We've hit on Murray. And let's turn to the receiving core because, you know, you talk about a guy who's going to take away touches. Michael yep. Thomas, leading the league in catches, 149, led the league in receptions uh, and receiving yardage, 1725. Uh, absolute stud, number one wide receiver out there. So, you know, is it possible that he could – match those numbers again this season? I think that Michael Thomas is so good that he can come close to that. He's due for some regression, um, and we can hope that he gets more touchdowns. He had nine touchdowns, which is decent, but not considering the amount of targets and, and, and target share he had last year. So he may be able to produce similar fantasy production, but I would expect a little bit of regression from Michael Thomas. So you have to be a little bit cautious with him. Um, because we're going to talk about Emmanuel Sanders in a second here. That's going to take away some target share. Michael Thomas had a record 186 targets, number one in the league, 33.2% target share, by far number one in the league. So his target share and amount of targets he had and how good he was with those targets was just ridiculous. You can't expect that consistently, especially being that they brought another uh, really good wide receiver in where they didn't really have a number two wide receiver last year um, that you can count on. Uh, Michael Thomas, uh, this is a guy that, you know, I let you know, I, I was in on him since training camp of his rookie year. I was on this guy uh, really big on him before anyone even knew who he was. Uh, they might've called him Mike Thomas at that point, you know? So maybe it was like Michael Jordan. He went from right. uh, Mike to Michael once he came out of the scene. Right. <laughs> yeah. So if you look at the first four years of this guy's uh, this guy's uh, career, 
he holds the record for most uh, most receptions uh, at 470 of all time, all any player uh, for the first four years. And obviously 149 yards, 149 receptions last year is the record. And he led the league in receptions in 2018 and 19 and also led uh, obviously in yards. So the guy is physical. He's a precise route runner, the most physical receiver that you'll probably see, the strongest hands. He hardly drops anything, um, and Drew Brees trusts him with that accuracy. Uh, he's not a deep ball threat, so he is who he is. He's great. At, he's probably even better at PPR. Um, you know, that big game, that shootout game, he had 44 fantasy points in the PPR world, which was great. And then on DK, he had six more games over 30, which was uh, huge. And still FanDuel had a game almost 36 points and seven other games on FanDuel over 20. So he was the model of consistency. And if you faded him, you probably paid for it last year. So uh, what do you think about him? Yeah, model of consistency, like you said, incredible floor. Only one game under 10 fantasy points. That was the last game of the regular season. So that's a throwaway. And in that shootout against San Francisco, that was the day that he had the lowest price on DraftKings all season at 6.6K. And he gave you that 7X return with those 44 fantasy points. So once again, a note to self, next year, if Breeze and Thomas dip in price, pair them up in a GPP and look for one of those shootouts because they're just they just can't be held down. Uh, Incredible pairing. Now. You mentioned that the Saints really didn't have a number two last year. Uh, Ted Ginn Jr., sort of a guy who's had a great career in terms of all-purpose yardage, but he's sort of been trending downward in terms of his uh, receiving skills and production. He's gone now. He just signed with Chicago. And, of course, the big signing, they've got Emmanuel Sanders in town. So what's your outlook for Sanders here fitting in as the obvious number two for Drew Brees and company. Yeah, I mean, with Drew Brees in this offensive system, you got to love Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders was coming off an injury last year, surprised a lot of people, and had a solid season. And he also, uh, his season was a little bit, you know, broken up because he was with the Broncos and traded to the 49ers. And the Broncos were not a good offense. Um, they weren't good at all. They were trying to figure out quarterback situation. I think Flacco was his quarterback most of the year, which is horrible, right? And then he was traded, and you go to San Fran, who's primarily a running team. And just when he was targeted, and you know he did produce. He had 66 catches, 869 yards, and five touchdowns. So he wasn't in a good system for his strengths. He's a great route runner. He, he, he can hit you with the deep ball. He can hit you underneath. Uh, he, he's another one of those guys that's like a technician. I think he's a great receiver. And with teams having to focus on Michael Thomas, he is going to be a single single coverage. He's going to have a lot of space to a lot of space to run and get open. And Drew Brees is, you know, probably one of the best quarterbacks Emmanuel Sanders has ever played with in terms of accuracy and timing. So as long as they can get together in training camp and get down the timing, Really high on Emmanuel Sanders. He's not a super high ceiling guy, but he's a very consistent performer, and he'll flash with a couple big games. But I feel like he has a great floor, and this was a huge offseason acquisition. This team was so loaded that they didn't need that many offseason acquisitions, but this is exactly what they needed. Um, so I'm really high on him. Yeah, and I think I think Sanders will have a, Sanders will have a better floor with the Saints. Um, I mean, we do see. Sean Payton game plan a lot and, and you know, bring in gadget plays and, and different guys who it's like they've got one or two plays drawn up for them specifically to get in the end zone with a the third tight end or a fifth wide receiver. We've, we've seen it. So uh, I'm a little bit concerned in that sense. But in general, I think it's a it's certainly an upgrade for Sanders. I think he'll be more consistent. And, you know, they obviously just fell in love with that performance in that shootout that we've been talking about because he was on the other side in that San Francisco Saints shootout. When he yep. caught seven for 157 and a touchdown, that was his yeah. ceiling game, 37.1 fantasy points. Uh, so he's obviously comfortable in that dome, and uh, Drew Brees and company have to be very excited to have him. Now, as for the rest of the group, you know, Traquan Smith is there, and I'm projecting him as that, you know, third most productive wide receiver. What are your thoughts on him? 
Yeah, it, so they like to line him up in the slot. You know, he's a bigger guy. He's definitely fast, physical. Um, so he will line up in the slot and sometimes outside as well. Drew Brees did target him a lot in the red zone, so he got five touchdowns. So he was pretty sporadic there, but he he didn't have enough volume. He had some injuries, so he only played 11 games, and he just didn't – his target share was so low and his, his amount of volume he had, he really only ended up catching 18 balls, 234 yards, and five touchdowns. So red zone target, guy that maybe you could take if you're looking for a minimal type price guy on FanDuel or something like that, but really kind of hard to play him on DraftKings being that he doesn't catch that many balls um, and he's so touchdown dependent. Uh, So not really high on him. You know, if maybe if uh, Jameis Winston uh, gets in there, he could throw a couple bombs to him because this guy's a deep threat. But Drew Brees, that's just not his game. So he doesn't fit that uh, Drew Brees uh, offense as well. And uh, he's a big target in the red zone, though, but uh, not really high on him. Yeah, I agree. It's just not enough volume. Um, But what an incredible percentage. 18 catches and five of them went for touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. he was money. that's what I'm talking about with these specific plays for specific guys. And so what's, you know, as we kind of look back over the, uh, the backfield, the wide receivers, uh, what I'm, what I'm seeing is, you know, an incredible concentration of targets and receptions with Kamara and Thomas, but the touchdowns, they had six guys with at least five touchdowns coming back. So, uh, that's the the harder thing to get a piece of uh, in terms of separating from you know, the other teammates is to try to get to that 10 touchdown mark. Nobody was able to do it. So let's transition to that uh, the sixth guy there, and it's Jared Cook, the tight end, who's 33 years old, which you know doesn't sound too old, but he's already played 11 years in the NFL, and yeah. coming off a very productive season. In only 14 games. Yeah, I remember he had a couple good good years for the Raiders. You know, really good receiving back. You know, the guy is physical. He's got great hands. He runs good routes. You know, he definitely hits you with those seam routes. Hits you with, you know, he can he can split out wide. Uh, he can do a little bit of everything. So I mean, last year he was pretty much their wide receiver too. You know, he plays in 14 games. He catches uh, 43 balls. For 705 yards. I mean, in this offense, considering the concentration Michael Thomas had, that was wide receiver two. And he did awesome in the red zone, nine touchdowns. He had as many touchdowns as Michael Thomas. And where he really excelled, which you wouldn't think of that for a tight end, is he was the big play guy. He was the touchdown guy. And in terms of 16.4 average uh, yards per reception. So that was way more than Michael Thomas and these other guys. Um, so really good run after the catch type guy and really good, uh, actually catching balls deep down, deeper down the field with that uh, high average for a tight end. So he, yeah, he was a playmaker and has definitely made some splash plays, um, in a really big part of this offense. And I think that he'll, he'll continue good production. Um, again, Emmanuel Sanders and him work in the middle of the field and Michael Thomas and, you know, being able to line these guys up all over the place. They're so versatile playing inside and outside and, you know, uh, Jared Cook, I think, is going to be another solid guy. And Drew Brees is really good at finding the open and finding the mismatch, you know. Sometimes yeah, and I, I, I really like the chemistry between Brees and Cook. And we saw that specifically at the end of the season. After Brees came back from injury, he got back in that rapport with Jared Cook. And Cook finished with seven of his last eight games over 10 fantasy points. And he had his three 20-point fantasy games down the stretch. So, I, I'm expecting a lot from them coming out of the gate. Uh, I want to hit on two other tight ends here. Josh Hill, who was out there for 61% of the snaps last year, but he only caught 25 passes, three touchdowns. So he took a little bit away from Jared Cook. But, you know, the real X, fact, X factor here is this draft pick that uh, the Saints really wanted to get. You know, they traded up in the third round to get Adam Troutman out of Dayton. Tell me your thoughts on how he might fit into the offense this year. Okay, I'm going to give you my Mel Kuyper Caldwell breakdown on Adam Troutman. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, small school guy, uh, came on late. This guy played everywhere, played all around the formation, ran up wild carts. He would go in line, line up in the slot. You're talking guy that worrisome competition level at Dayton, kind of a worry. But we're talking about guys 6'5", 255, running 4'7", 4'8", 40. 
This guy has potential. 2019 really came out of the scene, lit it up, 70 catches, 917 yards, 14 touchdowns. Big, big red zone threat there in only 11 games. So this is the type of guy we like, kind of like a poor man's Jimmy Graham. He's going to line up all over the formation, create mismatches. Great developmental guy. Sean Payton's going to love this guy. Drew Brees is going to love him. And I'm looking for big things from this guy. I think it was a great draft pick in the third round at pick number 105. <laughs> Excellent work there. Right when you got into that Jimmy Graham talk i think you really hit your groove on on the kuiper impersonation i like that so you know you talked about everybody in the room liking him and i'm going to throw one more in there he broke all kinds of records as a high school quarterback so maybe just maybe yeah so did they trade up to get him as a tight end because they love his pass catching ability or maybe it's just maybe do they think he's the successor to Taysom hill and they really view him as a quarterback (laughs) they're getting him gonna get him back under center he's collecting these Taysom Hill type guys that can do anything. They can run the wildcat. They can catch balls. They can run the ball. Yeah, because he got another guy in the seventh round, Tommy Stevens, and we'll talk about. So, yeah, he's collecting these these jack-of-all-trades, these Swiss Army knife guys. He loves them. And, uh, hey, it's, it makes that offense unpredictable. You never know what they're going to do. So, you know, it's not just one-dimensional offense. So, yeah, he's very creative in that matter. And yeah, maybe we'll see him get an end-around handoff, and then he'll throw it down the field. Um, yeah. You know, Kamara threw one one pass last year, completed it. So, I mean, you know, Taysom Hill, the quarterback, only threw five more passes than Kamara. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, he'll 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 try anything. Uh, yeah. The one other thing I'll say about Troutman is I read a description of him as being quicker than fast. You know, more quick than fast. But to be honest, watching the tape, I didn't really see quick or fast from Troutman. I thought he looked a little bit sluggish. You know, even in the open field, uh, I'll give him credit for running some nice routes. It seems like he has great hands, only two drops last year to go along with those 70 catches. So I think he can be very successful, but, I, you know, I think he may be a little bit limited in terms of the home run, um, you know, beat everybody down the field. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, you worry you worry about the level of competition, like I said in my breakdown there at Dayton, FCS school. So, yeah, he dominated, but... Really, overall, yeah, not elite, but very solid player. He's going to have some issues in, with pass, you know, uh, with uh, blocking as well, you know, whether it's pass protection, run blocking. He's not really that good at blocking. So he's kind of a situational, uh, you know, trying to a big guy that you're trying to get in a mismatch, you know, that's a pretty athletic guy. Right. So uh, as we mentioned, they got Troutman in the third round, traded a, a handful of draft picks to get him. So they only ended up with four selections. Anybody else from the draft class, Shane, that you think we need to 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 hear about as we get ready for the Saints and DFS this year? Yeah, I mean, I love their first round pick at 24. They took Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan. Uh, he's a center. He can play center or guard, but he should should start at center. And the guy is really athletic for a big guy. He's strong, athletic. He moves well in space. So I like him being able to have a have a being able to sit down and have good pass protection, but also help in the running game, getting to the second level. So that could help Kamara and Tavis Murray. And I like him being able to move in space with the screen game with Kamara as well. Uh, so I think Cesar Ruiz is versatile. You can see that they value that protecting breeze and being able to create more space in the running in the passing game. Uh, I think that's a great pick for him there uh, from Michigan. And then in the third round, they took Zach Bond, out of Wisconsin, who a lot of people thought was going to be a second round pick. Uh, so he really fell and he had a ton of production at Wisconsin. Definitely a lot of sacks, a lot of tackles for loss. The guy's a playmaker. I don't think he had elite athleticism when he tested. Um, I don't have his combine stats right in front of me, but I think that's maybe why he fell a little bit. He was a little bit undersized, but he's going to help them with the pass rush definitely uh, as an uh, outside linebacker. So I do actually like him in terms of his football production, I think they got a steal in the third round with him as well. Excellent. Yeah, so on Ruiz, um, I, you talked about the downfield blocking. It's just one thing I love on on highlight tapes is when you see these linemen down the field looking for a second block, and then when they're celebrating during the play because they know their guy's about to go score a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just nothing like that. So you can see that Ruiz, definitely a, a, a team player, and you like, you know, you like that guy at the center of your line. So 
Yeah, um, great offensive line already, and they're already really good at tackle and guard. So to have him added to that group, he's going to learn from them. They're they're a great unit, you know, in terms of production, the pass and running game. So. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that that about wraps up uh, our coverage of the Saints. Let's talk about the schedule here a little bit, Shane. That concludes our coverage of the NFC South. You and I are going to be back for the Friday show as we start the breakdown of the NFC North. Um, I guess the the final question here on the Saints is, do you think they finally overcome controversy <laughs> in the playoffs this year? <laughs> Yeah, I do. I do. They're they're going to be my way too early Super Bowl NFC Super Bowl team prediction. Um, so and then I have a team in the AFC, which I've told you, but we'll, we'll save that for later. Um, so, yeah, I was able to predict the Super Bowl last year. So, I was, uh, I, you know, I brag about that, that I, I predicted it pretty early, exactly how it went down. So, yeah, I like them. It, it's going to come down to the health, just like any team, you know, but if they can stay healthy, they have a lot of good things. I think Emmanuel Sanders could be an X factor. I think Alvin Kamara having a better uh, season this year could be an X factor in a full season with Drew Brees. Um, yeah. And uh, we'll see if their defense can t- continue to develop, but yeah, they, they are definitely a Super Bowl contender. Uh, and they're, I imagine they're going to be one of the favorites there. So. Excellent. Well, Hey, I'll take an early Super Bowl prediction, especially since you nailed it last year. I mean, there yeah. were good, good odds on the 49ers, you know, early, you know, late, was it late November, early December? Um, you know, great odds on them in the Super Bowl. So that's that's excellent. If you if you want if if you want the uh, the Twitter followers to get a little bit more of the insight, where can they find you? I'm at uh, DET Sports Shane. So DET stands for Detroit, and then Sports Shane on Twitter. Excellent. And you can find me on Twitter at Language Olympic. You can find our group on Twitter at DFS Coach Talk. Uh, if you want some more of our insight and winning plays, then become a member at DFSCoachTalk.com. As I mentioned at the outset, we're providing lineups right now on a daily basis for the KBO. Off to a very hot, hot start. We've got some very happy members, and so we're excited to bring that content to everyone. Uh, the leader of our group, Joe Sarvati, affectionately known as Coach, likes us to mention his favorite charity, MambaOn3.org. And did I miss anything, Shane? No, I think that's it. I definitely, I mean, the memberships are locked right now. Um, even though we are providing uh, the Korean Baseball League lineups, those are included in your membership, but the, the membership is frozen until the uh, main uh, U.S. sports start back up. Um, so it's great. You can get in there. We have all kinds of cool contests going on, and we have the uh, the KBO going on as well. So a lot of exciting things going on, and we're, we're getting into the NFL stuff. Very exciting and we're ready for sports to be back, and we're just going to keep getting better every day. That's right. And so it continues with the NFL coverage. We'll be back here tomorrow to break down the Lions. In the meantime, I want to thank Shane Caldwell. On behalf of this good man from Detroit, I'm Andrew Hansen. Thank you so much for joining, and be sure to tune in again tomorrow for the next episode of DFS Coach Talk.